0: So today we're going to get back into 1 John chapter 5. We started this, and for those of you who are new to our church, you're going, why are we starting in 1 John 5? Because back a few months ago, we were in 1 John earlier in the year, and Easter came upon us, and so we stopped the study. And I'm one of those that kind of feels like you got to finish what you start. And so we're going to do chapter 5 today. Next week... Uh, Francois will be teaching us and taking us home on this whole passage. And then the following week, so two weeks from today, we will start the Sermon on the Mount, God willing, which is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. With 1 John, we're at the end of the New Testament. With the Sermon on the Mount, we're at the very beginning of the New Testament. This is the first recorded sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. It may not have been his first sermon, but it's certainly the first one that's recorded, and it's one of the longest ones, if not the longest sermon that is recorded uh, that we have, and it's, we're gonna spend all summer on it. It's a fantastic um, understanding of Christ as he laid out why he was here and what he was going to do over the next three years, and then all the way and including us as well. And so if you like to read ahead, start reading in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But today we're in 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to look at a few of the verses here, and then I'm going to do an application for mothers and women, okay? So men Learn in the first half and listen in the second half, okay? Actually, there'll be some things you can learn in the second half as well. But in chapter five, starting in verse one, it says, everyone who believes, we find out that word belief is faith. He says it twice later on, but you can use the word believe, you can use the word faith, that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. That is a core part of our understanding of salvation. It takes faith to believe. It's in all the gospels, it's in the epistles. If you wanna be and have relationship with God Almighty, it's through belief in his son, Jesus Christ. Again, you can use the word receive, you can use the word faith, you can use the word savior or belief, whatever word you want to use, but it's that understanding that you have a full belief in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world and also as your Savior as well. Then John gives us seven quick lessons about this, and I'm going to share those very quickly in these 12 verses, the first 12 of chapter 5. Can we go on in the second half of verse 1? It says, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Number one, the first thing to understand that is faith leads to loving God. We must understand it. it's pretty basic, like if you have faith, you should love God. If you don't want to have faith, you don't have to love God. We get that, but it's just core. I don't want to lose this because later on it's important. But he goes on in verse 2. He says, by this we know this, that we love the children of God. Those of us who love God also love the believers. Now, this is where it breaks down. The Bible also says they'll know we are Christians by our love and it's our love to one another. You and I have to love the other believers. Now, we do have to love people who are not believers This is not saying we don't have to love them. He's specifically talking about the children of God here, that we have to love each other. Why? Wow. Okay, you're thinking, I know, you don't want to shout out. We're not Pentecostals. You're not allowed to shout out or anything. But why do we have to love? Because everybody out there will know. What do they out there know about us in here that we fight with each other that if we don't like each other we quit this church and start a church four blocks down why is there a first Baptist church and second Baptist church and first Presbyterian and second Presbyterian and why is there a church of Christ and church of Christ this and church of Christ that and we have church of Christ named after states because this state doesn't want to be with that state and I'm not blaming any of them but the reality is this we have not done a very good job of loving each other have we We haven't, it's just a fact. And maybe there's reasons why there should be a split every once in a while, but goodness gracious, we as a church are so splintered and it's because we haven't even loved the brothers and the sisters. How can we love those out there if we don't love those in here? And he says, if you love God, you gotta also love the brothers and the sisters. And then he goes on, and this gets a little harder now, That wasn't hard enough. It means I got to love everybody? Yes. And then he goes by this, verse 2, we know that we love the children of God when we love God, which he already said, so he's kind of repeating himself, as we know John loves to repeat himself so that you get it, and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. If you wanna be a follower of Jesus Christ, you gotta love God, love the believers, and keep his commandments. Now all of us say, I get the love God thing, that's why I'm here. I get loving the believers, because we're together, we should love each other, that's why we have small groups. But then keeping the commandments, and what does he say about keeping the commandments? And his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, I thought the commandments were tough. Can I tell you that if you love God and love the children of God, keeping God's commandments are easier than not keeping God's commandments. You got to think that one through. If I love you, I can be more generous with you. If I love you, I can show more compassion to you. If I love God, I can be more gracious. If I love God, I can show mercy. If I don't love God, why do I have to be merciful to you? If I don't love you, why do I have to be generous with the people out there? Do you see that? If I'm loving God, loving each other, if we're loving each other, then the commandments come easier. And God has called us to obey the commandments, and he even says they're not burdensome. So if they're burdensome, we have made them burdensome. We meaning the church, we meaning the leaders, you being yourself, maybe you've put some things around your own life that are so burdensome, but realize this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, now we make mistakes, we fall, we sin, we do all these things, but it's not like it's a big burden, like, oh my goodness, I'm a believer now, and now I've got to carry all these burdens. What God says, some of those burdens are going to go away, The burdens of guilt should go away. The burdens of your past should go away. There are burdens that come, no doubt about it. But please understand it, that God has called us to love him, love each other, and to keep his commandments. What was the big commandment we talked about last week? That 300 of you walked forward on. To go and make disciples. Remember, we said... Who wants to help make disciples? 300 of you walked forward. There were so many, you were up the aisles. We were packed down here, up every aisle were people. There were people all the way up, almost up the whole aisle on this side, and this side as well. Why? Because we said, we want to obey the commandment. Now, I'm not here to judge, so everybody just kind of close your eyes just for a moment. Raise your hand if you helped make a disciple this week in some way or another. Keep them up. Raise your hand if you just shared the gospel with someone. Raise your hand. That's amazing. There's hundreds of you who have raised your hand. You can open your eyes now. I just didn't want anybody to see anybody. Hundreds of you who were out there sharing the gospel this week. And I would love it to be a 1,000 There's a 1,000 of us listening today in this room and on the live stream. There's about a 1,000 of us here, maybe 1,200. It would be great if all 1,200 of us went outside, out there, and I tell you what, it's kinda hard this week, isn't it? All the things that are happening in our society this week. I mean, this has been a pretty busy week in this society, hasn't it? With all the leaking and with all the other things. We'll come back to that in a moment when we talk about women but we've gotta keep the commandments. Then in verse four, he goes on, and this is an amazing thing. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it that takes you to overcome the world? Faith, our faith. Now that's easily said and hard to do. Now think about who wrote this. It's the book of John, right? First John, it's an epistle. John wrote a gospel, so we call that John, and we name these differently so that we don't get confused. So we say first John, second John, third John. Same John wrote it. Who was John? John was the youngest disciple. 12 disciples, one defects Judas, they replace him with Mattathias. There's 12 disciples who became apostles, and one more was added, the Apostle Paul, correct? So there's 13 apostles of which John is one of those apostles. This is written at the end of, towards the end of the first century, not totally at the end, but towards the end. One of the last books written. Now think about it. When Christ rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, shortly thereafter, John's brother was killed for the faith. Remember Peter, James, and John? John and James, Peter and James, are all brothers and brothers in the Lord, I should say. And James is killed. Later on, every one of the others were killed for their faith, except this John. Now think about it. A letter comes. It's about Philip. He's in Egypt. He's been killed. Two years later, you get a letter from some young believers in the Caucasus. Mattathias was clubbed to death. A few years later, you get a letter from India, and Thomas has been killed on a hill. A little later, you get a letter about Nathaniel, about Andrew. And then your good friend Peter, you get a letter that he was hung, or rather crucified upside down. And then a few years later, you find out that Paul was beheaded in Rome. This is John's letters. When I get letters, I get letters from friends and acquaintances and past and all this. He's getting letters about the death, and not just the death of old age, but the persecution and death of his buddies who were the starters of this thing called the way of Christ. And he says we can overcome that. So when he says it, he means it. When we say it, we're an air-conditioned building on soft seats or you're home on your couch. And we say it, it doesn't ring as true, does it? I can overcome with my faith. When he's saying it, he doesn't even know if he's the next in line. Now, it turns out we believe he died a natural death, but he was persecuted and he was boiled in oil and all other kinds of heinous acts were done against him. But realize this, that our faith is stronger than someone else's persecution. Please understand that. And as persecution begins to rise in this country, and those of you who are in other nations, it's already been rising. The question becomes, is your faith stronger than someone else's words that are against your faith? And you got to make a decision. And as we teach these three children and all the other children of our church and the grandchildren of you and the great-grandchildren of you, as we teach them about Jesus Christ, do we really believe that faith in Christ is greater than anything else in this world? Because if you don't, my friends, it's, you might as well go home now and go to the beach. Because if our faith is not stronger than their words, then what is it good for? Our faith is stronger, and he said it can overcome the world. Why? Why? Because John knew the end. The other day I was uh, teaching at Boca Lead, and thank you for those of you who pray for Boca Lied. It was a full house. It was great. A lot of non-Christians. And I talked about the unknown, the unknown. And I said there's two things about the unknown. There's the unknown part of the unknown, and there's the known part part of the unknown. Now, that's very confusing, but just think about it. We live in South Florida where there are hurricanes. It's unknown when the next hurricane will come, but it is known that a hurricane will come, correct? And if you're new to Florida and you don't have a little hurricane kit and you don't have extra water and you don't have extra batteries in your house, you are not prepared for the known about the unknown, Do you see that? We as believers of Jesus Christ have a lot of knowns about the unknown. We do not know what's going to happen in this world, but we do know that faith in Jesus Christ is going to get us through it. You see, there is an unknown, but we have a known about it. And we know what's going to happen at the end of the day and we just don't know what's gonna happen kind of between here and there, but we know who's gonna take us through it. You see, we are believers of the known, even though it's unknown, and people go, I just don't know, and this and that, and you're right. We don't know all the things, but we know who does know, and we believe in him, and we follow him, do you see that? And he's the one that's gonna let us overcome the world. And the world is unknown at this point. Might get a little better, might get a little worse. I don't know, but I know the one who does. And I choose to follow him through the unknown. And when you do that, you can overcome. And he says, John says, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. He goes on, verse six. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Is that confusing? Or what? I read it fast to even make it more confusing. There's the Spirit, there's water, there's blood. Okay, Spirit, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ said he would send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here. The Spirit is testifying to us. And the Word of God is a part of that, the part of the Spirit of God that led these men to write this book, not just 1 John, but the entire Bible. So when you're reading the Bible, you're hearing from the Spirit of God. When you're praying, you're hearing from the Spirit of God. He speaks to us in a a still, small voice. The Spirit of God is working on us. But it's not just that. It's the water. What is the water? And the scriptures, in this instance, the water is Jesus's baptism. It doesn't just mean his baptism, meaning the physical dunking into the Jordan River. What it means is his whole ministry here on earth. Jesus came, excuse me, came to earth. He was baptized and his whole ministry. You see, we can learn from Jesus's ministry here on earth. That's why we're going to study the Sermon on the Mount because we learn from that. That's not the only thing we learn because there are some believers who think we should only look at the red letters of the Bible, the words Jesus taught, which we're going to do all summer long. But that is not the only thing. We need to look at the entire Bible. We need to understand the Spirit of God is at work in our lives. And then he says the blood. What is the blood? The blood is reference to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot have just the Spirit of God, just the daily working of Christ while he was on earth, you must also have his death, burial, and resurrection. All three are in unity together to tell us, to share with us that we might understand this whole concept of who God is and how we can have relationship to him. It takes all three. It takes the spirit of God to prompt you even to have the faith, the Bible says. And then we need to understand what Christ did here on earth. And then we need to understand his death, his burial, and his resurrection that we spent the last six weeks on. So that's so important. But next, he keeps going. He says in verse 9 if we receive the testimony of people, the testimony of God is greater. Let me just stop there testimony of people, testimony of God. I'm up here testifying. You share, I go, go tell people about Christ. You're giving a testimony of how God worked in your life to other people. That's good. But he says the testimony of God is even better. You see, sometimes we go, you know, God helped me, and I did this, and I did that, and I'm better now, and I'm healed from this and all the rest, it's about me. Sometimes our testimonies are 90% about me and only 10% about God. And what he says is, the testimony of you is good, but the testimony of God is great. Please understand, when you're sharing about Christ, actually share about Christ. Don't just share what Christ did for you. That's important, and that is good, but please understand, what God has done for you is better than what you have done for you. Or what others have done for you. I've had many people go, Pastor Bill, thank you for all you did for me. And I go, you're welcome, except it was him, not me. I might have just helped a little bit, but it's the work of God that's important. Ultimately, it's God's work that's important, not just ours. I'm going to skip down to verse 12. And he repeats what he said in verse 1. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Now that's a tough one that's tough in our society are we saying the only way to get to god is through his son yes we are yes we are we're saying that god the father god the son and god the spirit all one come together you can't have one without the other you can't try to get to god through some other means You can't just have Christ and not go to God. That's just having the water without the blood and without the spirit. You've got to have all three. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Or put here, whoever has the son, and that's in the context of faith and belief, has life. Now, how do we apply this? I'm going to stop here and Francois is going to bring it home next week, the rest of the passage, but it's Mother's Day. Can I talk about mothers for a moment? I wanna give you a few mothers in the Bible. Can I do that? Mothers of faith. We're talking about faith. Can I give you some mothers of faith? You may know these mothers, you may not know these mothers, but they're all in the Bible, trust me. You don't have to go looking for them. I'll put them up on the screen in a moment, but you can just write it down. Number one, Jacobed. You go, who on earth is Jacobed? Jochebed was Moses' mother. Now, you know who Moses was, right? Because we spoke about him weeks ago on Easter day, actually, uh, Easter morning, we spoke about Moses. Moses' mother, Jochebed, had two children. It's in Exodus chapter uh, one and two. She had two children. She had Miriam and she had Aaron. They lived in Egypt. That's when the children of Israel were down in Egypt. And Pharaoh said, enough Israelites. We're done with this children making. No more children. In fact, if you have any more children, we're going to kill them. So, Jochebed had two children. So, you think, well, that's good. A boy and a girl, enough is enough. Well, she gets pregnant. She's having a third child. And so, the midwives have been told to kill the children. Well, thank God, the midwives did a little uh, political unrest and didn't, did, didn't kill the children. And Moses was born. He wasn't even named at that point. She built a little bassinet ark. They were living along the Nile, and she built it. And they use the words in the Bible just like the Ark of Noah. She pitched it with oil that's petroleum, kind of a tar base, waterproofed it, put them in, had Miriam sitting there. And think about it. You put your baby in the Nile. The Nile is filled with crocodiles, vipers, um, cobras, a fish that are huge that could pull that thing upside down and knock it over, all these amazing things. And she puts it in there. You got to know that this woman was fearless. The faith of this woman Was fearless. I want you to write that down. Jochebed was fearless, and not fearless because of herself, but she had faith in God. How do we know that? Because Hebrews 11 tells us of her faith. You can look at it another time. And then here's what's amazing Pharaoh, who had given the edict, no more children, his daughter is bathing. And she sees this bassinet, she comes over, they open it up, a little baby. She goes, oh, how cute. You know, a little maternal instinct kicks in. And what happens, Miriam comes up and goes, I know a lady who can nurse him. Now, do you know the humor of this? And so Moses goes back legitimately under the protection of Pharaoh to be nursed by his mother, his actual birth mother. Unbelievable the faith and the fearlessness of this lady led her to even allow her to raise her own child. Then she had to give them back to the court. And of course, we know the rest of the story. Let me give you another lady, Hannah. Hannah. First Samuel chapter 1 and 2. Hannah had a different kind of problem. She didn't have children in a time when everybody wanted children. So in Moses' time, they didn't want you to have children in her time, Everybody had children. She did not. So she prayed and prayed, and she had hope. Now, not everybody who prays and has hope has children. But God gave her a child. And in that hope and in that desire also came generosity, came compassion. This woman of faith named Hannah gave birth to Samuel, the first high priest of the Israelites. And actually not the first, sorry, the last high priest, the most famous high priest and all. Just an incredible story. You need to read it in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. So we have a lady who was fearless. We have a lady who had hope. And then there's another lady I want to mention. This is one you may never have heard of. Her name was Abigail. Abigail was in a bad marriage. So we have these different ladies in different cities. She's in a bad marriage. It was an arranged marriage. She was married to a very wealthy bad man. His name was Nabal. Nabal was a drinking drunkard and they're there. She has children, her children are unnamed. David. this is a time when David was about to, before he became king, he was running around doing all these things in war and having all these skirmishes and battles. He comes, his army's there, he needs food, and Nabal says, I'm not giving you any. And so David was so mad, he heard all this was done through intermediaries, and David leaves and says, I'm gonna kill that man. And Abigail hears about it. Meanwhile, Nabal is drunk, just stone drunk. He doesn't remember any of this. And Abigail had wisdom. Abigail went to David, brought food, brought breads, brought wine, brought water, brought everything his men needed and said, "'I am sorry, what my husband did was wrong, "'and I would ask that you forgive us for his sins.'" Isn't that incredible? Kind of the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And we see that several times in the Bible, but it was really true. Well, Nabal wakes up from this drunken stupor a few days later, and she tells him all that happened, and you know what happened to him? He was so terrified that David would come and kill him that he died of fright. He died of fright. So so David comes back, And he finds out this whole story, and he marries Abigail. An amazing story, but it's because of Abigail's wisdom to discern through a very bad experience. So you had a lady who shouldn't have children who had children. You have a lady who didn't have children that wanted children. You had a lady in a bad marriage. One showed faith and fearlessness. One showed uh, faith and hope, and one, uh, what was the other one? Wisdom, thank you. In wisdom. Now let's go to the New Testament. Let's bring you grandmothers in to this story. There's a story about two ladies, Eunice and Lois, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I know Bill, you say, Bill, you say this is your favorite chapter in the Bible all the time, and I have different ones every time I say it. So if you're listening to a sermon and you say, Bill, you said that was your favorite chapter in the Bible, and this was your, well, it's just because it's at the time. I have a lot of favorite chapters. Well, this is really cool because Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is the son and grandson of Lois and Eunice. And Lois and Eunice, there's no men in the situation. We think they were Greek because the name Timothy is a Greek name. So they might, might have or might not have been people of faith, the men in the family. But the women were godly women. And what did the women do? They discipled their son and their grandson in the faith. Because Paul says, you have been discipled. If you read the verses, he doesn't use the word disciple. I'm using that word. But he was discipled by his mom and his grandmother and by Paul. And he says, now you gotta fan the flame of your own faith. And it's a beautiful sight here. The mother and the grandmother discipled their children. Moms, you have a great opportunity. Grandmothers, you have a great opportunity great-grandmothers, you have a grand opportunity to disciple your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. With FaceTime, with all these ways of communicating, you say, my children are over here. They're in another country. That means nothing anymore. It doesn't cost anything. Remember when you had to actually pay for phone calls? No, you don't. These people over here don't remember. Do you remember there was a cord on a phone? No. No. <laughs> Do you remember, you know, my grandchildren will never know a, f- a phone call without a photograph, you know, without grandpa being on there. I mean, this is unbelievable. I just remember the first time we were in Europe and you had to call New York, who had to call Atlanta, who had to call uh, Fort Lauderdale, who had to call Boca. We had four operators on just to say hello to my grandparents when we were on a trip. Nowadays, you're in it in seconds. Grandparents, you can communicate and Disciple your grandchildren, even if they're not in your own town. Please understand this. You have a great opportunity. And with texting and with sharing verses and all the rest, let me tell you don't leave this earth without discipling your grandchildren and your great grandchildren. We as parents obviously have that responsibility as well. Now, so they did it. Lois did it, and Eunice did it. Now, let's look at the last set. The last set is Ruth and Esther. Now, I pick Ruth and Esther because these are my favorite... I said it again, sorry. (laughs) I really enjoy the book of Ruth, and I really enjoy the book of Esther. These are the only two books named for women in the Bible. Neither of them had mothers. Neither of them, when they were doing the story, in the book were mothers themselves. Ruth became a mother, we're not quite sure of Esther, most likely she became a mother later on, but both of their stories surround no mothers. Esther's died when she was young. We know nothing about Ruth's mother. In fact, she had a terrible mother-in-law, so the mother figure in her life was terrible. In Esther's life, it was vacant, it was non-existent. And yet these women transformed their world the story of Ruth, four chapters. You need to read it, but to realize what she did and the faith that she had, and what was her faith in? It it wasn't in her mother. It wasn't in being a mother. It wasn't anything surrounding motherhood. It was in the sovereignty of God. We need to realize that above all of this is the sovereignty of God, and God is in control, and God took a poor woman from across the Jordan River. She was an immigrant, a poor immigrant, who had no family to speak of. And she comes, she had a poor mother-in-law who was a complainer, and yet God took care of her. And at the end of the day, she is in the line of Christ. She's in the line of Christ because at the end, she does have a baby named Obed, who had a baby named Jesse, who had a son named David. She's the great-grandmother of David, And I can imagine she holding David when he was young as a great grandmother. It's only my imagination, it's not in the Bible, but I can imagine her influence on that. God is sovereign and God allows things to happen to us for the future, from the known to the known. And then Esther, what is the story of Esther about? Have you ever thought about it? There's two main characters, there's cousin Mordecai and Esther. And they're working together and Mordecai has this whole situation where he is getting elevated and elevated and elevated in Persia, even so much that he was allowed to be paraded around as a key person of the king. He was one of the most powerful people in the kingdom and yet God used Esther, a lady who was in a harem, And we sanitize this story of Esther. But let me tell you, when you read about what occurred in harems, this was not good. This was not healthy. This was not right. And yet God used a girl out of a harem to change the world. She was a minority. Both of these, Ruth and Esther, were minorities in their storyline. And yet she changed even to this day if you're Jewish, you celebrate Purim in and around December, which is the story of Esther. It's an incredible reality that Esther didn't want to do it. Do you remember that story? She didn't want, she kind of said, Mordecai, it's your job. You're the man. It is your job to do it. I am just a lady in a harem. What did Mordecai say to her? In in Esther chapter 4, you need to read it. Maybe, the word is perhaps, you were born for such a time as this. Wow. She wasn't born to be in a harem. Maybe she wasn't born for any of this. Maybe she was born to go to the king and to have her people be saved. You gotta read the story. I can't give you the whole story. But here's the point. Let's bring it centuries forward, 2,400 years or 2,500 years later. Now, women in this room, you have unprecedented influence in this nation, more than ever before. I am a white, middle-aged, northern European man. We had all the influence the first 400 years of this country. We don't anymore. It is women. And we can fight the theology of it. We can fight everything we want. But please understand, ladies, you have a voice This thing that came out this week about pro-life versus pro-choice, about Roe v. Wade, I remember I used to pick it. We did all kinds of things when we were young because I was in my young 20s in the 70s or even less than that when Roe v. Wade came out. I was protesting. I was doing all this stuff. But let me tell you, the voice that's going to be heard most is the voice of women who are pro-life. Let me tell you. you i am pro-life i have always been pro-life no one's going to listen to me you women and can i say you women of color you have an unprecedented ability to share the truth and people will listen to you i'm still going to shout it i'm still going to speak it i'm still going to love people i'm going to do all those things But we need you, women. This is your time. As Esther, it was her time. It was not Mordecai's time. I would have thought if I was writing the story, he was getting up to being the number two or number three person in the kingdom. It was his story. No, it's God's story and he wanted to use Esther. And ladies, you have a great opportunity ahead of you. You're more compassionate than us. You're more merciful than us. You can have babies. We can't. Some of you have had abortions. In this room, statistically, it's between 10 and 30% of the women in this room have had an abortion. I want you to know Jesus loves you, God loves you, and this church loves you. It's not about pointing fingers at abortion. It's the fact that we love life and we love people, whether they're adults or they're children. And we want you to know that there's a compassion behind that. Now I can stand up here and cry and do all this stuff, but I'm still a white middle-aged Northern European man. But you ladies have an opportunity over these next weeks and months and years to come. You young women, unprecedented what you can do. Take this opportunity and share Christ and share his love because you have faith in Jesus Christ. Now all of us should, men, you too. But I'm speaking to women today, mothers, non-mothers, grandmothers, great grandmothers, whoever you are, what an opportunity you have. And I applaud you for this. And I encourage you. And as we close now, what I want to do, last week I had everybody come down who wanted to share Christ and you're doing that and we want to encourage you to do that. But for you women, this is for you today. How many of you would stand up and say, I'm going to speak about the love of Jesus Christ to people. I'm a woman and I want to speak it. Men, you can do it too, but you stand up in your heart. Don't stand up. I want the women of this congregation, I want to see the women who believe this and want to be known by this. Stand up. And if you're at home, stand up. And if you can't stand up, stand up in your heart. Women, stay standing. God has called you to a unique role, both in motherhood And also an influence. And we celebrate motherhood and we've done that, but this is about influencing people. Not about mothering your biological children or your adopted children or your foster children. That's all incredible. But this is about the influence you have in this world today. I believe it's unlike ever before in this nation. We men need to take our roles, but this is not that. This is not about that. This is about you. So I'm gonna pause and pray, and men who are sitting and women who are sitting, I want you to pray for those who are standing right now. Father, I pray for each woman who is standing of all ages, young, middle, old, those who are born in this country, those who have immigrated to this country, but those who love you, Father, and wanna share you out there. They wanna be a part of the Go Church. Father, I pray that you would help them go and to share the good news of all that you have done in this world and in their lives. May their testimony be good, but may your testimony be great. And I pray, Father, for this nation over these next few weeks that is in confusion and disarray, even over one leaked letter, to realize how fragile this country is. And I pray, Father, that the people of God, the women of God, and the men of God will stand in compassion and in love and all that you have called us to do. Father, I believe we were born for such a time as this. And may we never forget it, I pray, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. Happy Mother's Day. Now, we have prayer teams that will be down here afterwards. I talked at the beginning about coming to know Jesus Christ. I didn't talk more about that later. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, come forward. If you're a lady and you want prayer, if you're a man and you want prayer, please come down. We're gonna sing a closing song and then we're gonna ask you to come down and just say a few words and, and pray with our prayer teams here as well. Make it a great week. And I hope, that I didn't talk about this today, but pray for this nation. This nation needs the people of God to act like the people of God. Amen? Fearless, with hope, with faith, discipling our children and understanding God is in control.